Hello everyone and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex and this week I have a cold. A cold, 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 a coldy, cold, cold. It is that time of year, my friends, and it has hit me fairly hard. I have been sneezing and coughing and stuffed up and sinusy for a few days now, and it is not fun. So, I'm going to sound a little lower and a little more stuffed up during this episode, but hopefully it's not too painful to listen to, although if it was a little painful, it's so spooky, it's Halloween season, and that brings us to episode three of our spooky suite, and we're going to lighten things up a little bit this time, a little sweet, a little savory, it's candy corn and pumpkins. In the late 1800s, confectioners were mixing up mellow cream and shaping it into all kinds of agricultural forms, such as pumpkins, chestnuts, turnips, and more. This was, as all truly great products are, of course, a marketing scheme. Farmers counted for about half of the American labor force, and these egg-shaped candies helped get farmland children chomping away throughout the whole year. Candy corn's history can be traced back to George Renninger, a Philadelphia candy maker who worked at the One Girl Candy Company around the same time as the agricultural candy boom. One Girl is credited as selling the classic three-colored candy corn, but it was another company, Golet's Candy Company, that truly elevated it to the masses. In 1898, Golet's Candy Company began promoting the candy in kernel form as chicken feed. Before the food shortages during World War I, corn wasn't thought of as human food that much. Only the poorest of Americans would regularly eat corn in those days, which is nuts because corn is delicious, but I digress. Even as candy corn emerged as a popular penny candy, it wasn't until the 1950s that it took on its Halloween association. Good old marketing, once again, forced candy corn onto the ghostly and ghoulish masses and solidified its spot as a Halloween favorite. Oh, and the Golitz Candy Company? That's now a little candy producer called Jelly Belly. To make candy corn in the early days, sugar, corn syrup, and other very healthy things were cooked into a slurry in kettles. Then, fondant and marshmallow were added to smooth out the texture. The whole concoction was then poured into vessels called runners, which were then walked along by workers called stringers. The stringers would move the runners over rows of cornstarch trays stamped with the kernel shape. The first pass was white, second, yellow, third, orange. Today, it's made pretty much the same way, just with an army of machines instead of human hands. For all the candy corn eaters out there, there's some debate over the correct way to eat a single kernel. Do you just pop the whole thing in your mouth? Do you eat it slowly, savoring each identically flavored color? Well, the good folks at the National Confectioners Association did the Lord's work and gathered data on candy corn eating. According to a 2021 NCA poll, 31% of people start with the narrow white end, 17% of people start with the wider yellow end, and 52% eat the whole thing. 
from one of the most beloved Halloween candies, you heard me, to what is practically the mascot of the entire holiday. It's time for pumpkins. Let's start off by digging into exactly what a pumpkin is. What you call a pumpkin really belongs to a family of crops that are grouped under the genus Cucurbita. And whatever pumpkin you're referring to is just the regional favorite out of the group. In countries outside the U.S., there can be a lot more terms to distinguish the different crops, but inside the U.S., we pretty much call them all pumpkins. This goes back to the fact that all members of the Cucurbita genus stem from five or six related wild species. Each of these was domesticated at a different time, with the earliest being almost 10,000 years ago in Mexico. The earliest cucurbita plants differed from modern pumpkins in a couple ways. First, their innards were rife with a toxic, bitter chemical, protecting them from animals on the prowl for a snack, but also preventing humans from eating them. A less vomit-inducing difference was their size. While modern pumpkins can be orange behemoths, Ancient varieties were about the size of a baseball, and smooth. So why did people harvest and domesticate them if they were toxic and tiny? Well, the inner flesh was toxic, but the seeds were edible and nutritious, and some archaeologists think ancient peoples may have used the rinds to keep fishing nets afloat. But another big reason? Because they were there. Even when you're done with a proto-pumpkin, more vines are sure to pop up once you throw the discarded rind in the trash pile. So, part of their proliferation may have simply been because of the crop's ubiquitous nature. Over time, the members of the cucurbita genus evolved into the good old pumpkins we know today. The toxic, bitter chemical almost completely moved to the leaves instead of the flesh, the crop grew in size, and the stems began to lose much of their spininess, making them easier to pick. Pumpkin pie recipes, and pumpkin dishes in general, have gone through some evolutions over the years. One of the first American pumpkin recipes can be found in John Jocelyn's New England Rarities Discovered, a book published in the early 1670s containing animal and plant documentation, regional lore, and recipes. In this dish, diced pumpkin was cooked down in a pot over the course of a day before butter and spices were added, ultimately kind of resembling today's mashed sweet potatoes or squash. But pumpkin pie got its start in the 1800s. During that time, it became trendy to serve pumpkin dishes for the Thanksgiving meal. But canned pumpkin puree was still a long ways off. So pumpkins were scooped out, filled with ginger-spiced milk, and roasted by the fire until the big meal. Sounds delicious. All right. Ancient pumpkins, pumpkin pies, that's all well and good, but this is Halloween! So let's talk jack-o'-lanterns. Specifically, the legend that started it all. The origin of jack-o'-lanterns begins with a man called Stingy Jack. True to his name, old Stingy Jack didn't like to spend much money. He also had the habit of hanging around with some unsavory folks which is how he found himself at a local pub one night drinking with none other than the devil. After a few rounds, it was time to pay up. Jack, not wanting to pay the bill of course, convinced the devil to transform into a coin so the tab could be covered. The devil transformed, but Jack quickly put the demon coin into his pocket, 
a pocket that happened to contain a silver cross. The devil couldn't change back into his original form, so he struck a bargain with Jack. He would leave him alone for an entire year if he was allowed to escape the pocket. Jack agreed. A year later, the devil caught up with Jack, but Jack had another trick up his sleeve. He asked the devil to climb a tree to grab some delicious-looking fruit, and when the devil did, Jack carved a cross into the tree trunk. The devil, once again trapped, struck up another bargain with Jack. He wouldn't bother Jack for ten years. But Jack would not get to the ten-year mark. He died several years into the agreement. When he ascended to heaven, God refused to let such a slimy person through the pearly gates. Jack had no other choice but to head down to hell to visit his old pal, the devil. But the devil, finally having the high ground, refused to let Jack into the fiery depths. Instead, the demon turned Jack away into the dark of the night with only a burning coal to light his endless journey. Jack carved out a turnip, popped the coal in it, and has been roaming the earth ever since, known as Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-lantern. The Irish and Scottish began to carve scary faces on turnips, placing them in windows to keep Jack and other spirits at bay. But the tradition changed when Irish immigrants came to America. They discovered that pumpkins, native to their new home, made perfect vessels for the ghostly light that helped Stingy Jack from striking another unscrupulous deal. And there you have it. Some fun, sweet facts about candy corn, one of the greatest Halloween candies of all time. Thank you very much. And some fun, educational, and spooky facts about pumpkins and the lore of jack-o'-lanterns. I hope you return next week for the final episode, episode four of our spooky suite. My name is Alex, and until then, as always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.